Disclaimer. In this chapter, we will be discussing the murder of two young girls. Everyone discussed will be considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Some of the details are quite disturbing. This will be the only warning. So I think for this part, it's a good idea to do a quick, like a lightning fast rundown of Richard Allen, the, basically the, the arrest warrant and the search warrant affidavit, because a lot of what was in there is now being rebuked by the defense in this next part. Okay. So we have the eyewitnesses who say they saw somebody resembling Rick Allen on the trails between noon and 3 or 4 p.m. Can't remember exactly, but he was there at the time. Rick Allen also gave a statement, a witness statement to a conservation officer saying that he was at the trail, said what he was wearing, said what he was driving, said where he parked, all the rest of it. And according to the police, it all lined up to the evidence that they had through eyewitnesses as to what bridge guy did that day um the witnesses reportedly saw a man matching rick allen's description wearing a dark blue coat blue jeans uh, something covering his face and a hat that's pretty much about how i want to wrap that all together for you did they ever specify that you remember or know what kind of hat a ball cap is what it was oh, described by okay. witnesses. Okay. But we're going to find out here that... Um, Liggett may have altered... Altered these eyewitness accounts mm-hmm. slightly to kind of fit a different timeline. And to fit... It's <coughs> <laughs> <So> fly. <laughs> and to fit Richard Allen's appearance as well as his vehicle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Betsy observed... A white male, age 20, had brown curly hair, medium build. Richard Allen ain't fucking 20. (laughs) So like I said, one of the eyewitnesses, uh, her name is Betsy Blair. And let's go through what the defense says Betsy's actual eyewitness account was. When Betsy Blair arrived to the trail at roughly 1.46 p.m., she parked her vehicle in a different location that the defense calls the Mears parking lot. And this is actually the same place that Abby and Libby were dropped off by Kelsey. But anyways, when she left the Monon Trail and pulled out from the Mears parking lot, Betsy headed west on 300 North in her car and was spotted on a Hoosier Harvest Store camera heading toward the old CPS lot at 2.14 p.m. The old CPS lot is only a 36-second drive from the Hoosier Harvest Store camera. Giving Betsy Blair a full minute to drive from the Hoosier Harvest Store to the old CPS lot would mean that Betsy Blair would pass the old CPS lot around 2.15 p.m. Now, Liggett had admitted under oath that at 2.15 p.m., Richard Allen's black Ford Focus would be parked at the CPS building while he was abducting the murdered girls. However, at 2.15 p.m. when Betsy Blair passed the old CPS building, 
she did not see a black Ford Focus parked at the old CPS lot. The car that Betsy Blair observed as she passed the old CPS building at 2.15 p.m. looked nothing like a black Ford Focus. According to Liggett's own report, Betsy observed one car parked in the CPS lot at 2.15 and that car resembled a 1965 Ford Comet that her father once owned. The shape had sharper angles. Again, to whom did Betsy Blair provide this description of the 1965 Ford Comet-looking angular in appearance vehicle? None other than Liggett himself. Liggett was fully aware that the car Betsy Blair described as being backed into a spot at the old CPS building looked nothing like Richard Allen's black Ford Focus, but Liggett concealed that information from Judge Diener during the search warrant affidavit. So it should also be noted that if Richard Allen left at 1.30 p.m., then the person that Betsy Blair observed on the high bridge at roughly 2 o'clock was not Richard Allen. This would explain why the person that Betsy Blair observed on the high bridge looked nothing like Richard Allen because it wasn't Richard Allen. It was a 20-year-old kid with brown poofy hair. Concealing Betsy Blair's description of the vehicle at the old CPS building from Judge Diener may have temporarily plugged a hole in the dam of Liggett's problematic timeline when Diener reviewed the affidavit on October 13, 2022, but Liggett's concealment has now been exposed. Um, just because I don't know if it will repeat this part, something that I read when I was trying to find where you were was that um, Betsy apparently went back, I think, two years later, uh, frustrated that they hadn't released the sketch that she had. Uh-huh done and she went as far as saying like the one that they released is wrong so i Old think bridge guy yeah, yeah. whatever that is been. because the the young bridge guy sketch was released two years later and they said it was the original yeah and she like apparently she went in frustrated saying why haven't you released the one that i gave you like yeah. i I told you about this person because I believe this is who did it Mm -hmm. and you guys aren't releasing that information. Who is this person that you released like instead? Mm -hmm. So she went in frustrated. That's that's another huge piece of information. Mm -hmm. What are these police doing? thinking these investigators. And it gets even worse Uh, when asked to describe the color of the car that resembled the 1965 Ford Comet. Betsy actually told Liggett that the car she saw was not black. Liggett heard from the mouth of Betsy Blair that the 1965 Ford Comet-looking vehicle was not even black, which is the color that Liggett needed the vehicle to be in order to fit the description of Richard's black Ford Focus, as described in Liggett's affidavit. And just to point out that that information wasn't released until the search warrant affidavit. They were continuously looking for the owner of a car that was left abandoned. Remember that? Yeah. Over and over again. We never got a description of the car. We thought maybe it was a white pickup truck. 
There was some talk about a PT cruiser, mm-hmm. but we didn't know that it was a black car. The only way, and I like I can't even understand how they got to the point where they th- think so strongly that it was Rick Allen there that they that Liggett kind of molded the witness accounts and evidence to fit Rick Allen that day. Mm-hmm. I can't figure out for the life of me why Rick Allen, like where this. Maybe because they he need had to, the opportunity somewhere. And he had placed himself bullet. there and he was dressed not dissimilar from the guy on yeah. Libby's video. Similar stature to the leader of the mm-hmm. yeah. gang. If that had something to do with it. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I hope that they pull this in and they make it make sense. I agree, but the defense, this sentence, this is simply outrageous and abusive behavior on the part of Liggett. They're they're claiming abuse. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that... Liggett's the one running for sheriff. He won. He is the sheriff now. Ah! Ah! <laughs> and I believe that he actually retained a lawyer when this document dropped and is planning on suing the defense for defamation oh of character. Oh, my God. Don't quote me on that. That could just be, you know... If he is, it's like, dude, this is your fucking job. It is. So it's either support what you did and tell us why you did it. Right. Or shut the fuck up and get what's coming to you because you fucked up. It's one or the other. Show us how you didn't fuck up or just take it on the chin because this is making you look like a rat. So if you can't prove you're not a rat and the evidence points towards you being a rat, then you're a fucking rat. Just like if Richard Allen went to court and the evidence showed that he somehow fucking killed those two girls all by himself, we would have said, okay, you're a murderer. Yeah. And Which people been have been doing on. since October 2022. They For have, sure. Everybody has trusted law enforcement and yeah. Rick Allen is bridge guy. And people are even leaning towards believing that Rick Allen acted alone. Yeah. And in like part one or part two of this little series, Chewy, and in part one or part two of this series, you called Rick like pudgy... Man, like out of like frustration, a pudgy over little fuck of a man, fuck of a man, yeah, because of the frustration of the possibility that he did this to the two girls, yeah, and to think of that little man, that pipsqueak, <laughs> could have done all of that work by himself, still never has and never will register with my brain. I cannot mm-hmm. see it. Mm-hmm. So, no kidding. So Liggett flat out lied when he told Judge Diener that in 2017, Sarah Carba described a man as wearing muddy and bloody clothing and was also wearing a blue jacket. For Liggett's timeline to work, not only did he need for Richard Allen's black Ford Focus to be parked at the old CPS building between 1.30 p.m. and 4 p.m., but he also needed Sarah's statement concerning the man she claims she saw walking westbound on 300 North to match Betsy Blair's description of a man wearing a blue jacket. It would also help if the man had blood on his clothing to further tie him to the murder. In his affidavit, Liggett wrote the following. 
And I apologize because I know I'm saying Sarah's last name wrong, but it is. I know. That's why I just started calling her Sarah. Yeah. Um, An interview was done of Sarah Carbaugh in 2017. She states that she was traveling east on 300 North and observed a male subject walking west on the north side of 300 North away from the Monon High Bridge. She stated that he was wearing a blue colored jacket and blue jeans and was muddy and bloody. She further stated that it appeared that he had gotten into a fight. Investigators determined from the video that she was on 300 North at 15.57 hours. And I'd just like to, again, throw it back to our Delphi episode where we were talking about muddy and bloody and we were having a little bit of a debate about if he's could wearing dark, could you tell the difference between wet mud and wet blood? If there was a bunch of blood, yeah, but we're looking at this crime scene that obviously was clean. I don't think anybody left dripping in blood. Like, I I don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, if he did, if he was covered in mud and blood, then there would have been more transfer. Yeah. DNA like left at the scene. And, yeah. That's right. So the blue jacket described by Sarah would need to match the color of the jacket described by Betsy to help with Liggett's timeline. And again, the blood on the clothing would be an added bonus in that it would tie the man that Sarah observed in with the murders and therefore assist Judge Diener in making the decision to sign the warrant. The problem is that in 2017, Sarah told Liggett to his face that the man she observed walking on 300 North was wearing a tan-colored coat, not a blue jacket. This is a problem because the color of the man's coat did not match the coat of the 20-year-old boyish-looking man with the poofy brown hair that Betsy observed on the high bridge around 2 p.m. According to Liggett, both of these men were Richard Allen. Another way to put it is that Liggett has asserted that sketch number one and sketch number two are the exact same man, Richard Allen. And that's what they were trying, even like feeding to public. Mm-hmm. And like every every single one of us were like, how the fuck does like the sketch change like that? This mm-hmm. doesn't look like the same person. Forever and ever, Doug Carter was saying, a sketch is not a photograph, right? So, but he also said, and it was bizarre, and everybody was trying to analyze what this meant because Doug Carter is like a spin doctor of words. Um, neither one of them are going to be representative in and of itself of the perpetrator. But I think once we find the guy and we put those two sketches together, we're going to have a clear picture of our suspect. He said shit like that, and that's like, what 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 so it doesn't really look like this and it doesn't really look like that was he buying what Liggett was feeding him or was he just he's not? just a spin doctor he's just the spokesperson he's well, he, got nothing he to do with the day-to-day i believe he did visit the scene so pretty much it's saying that Liggett needed the color of that jacket to match the color of the jacket worn by the man that betsy observed so well it says here the problem was that sarah did not observe the man walking down 300 north wearing a blue jacket she observed a tan jacket and this meant that sarah and betsy observed two different men 
This created a problem for Liggett's timeline, so instead of being honest, Liggett chose to represent to Judge Diener that Sarah observed a man wearing a blue jacket when in her 2017 interview, Sarah said it was tan. But that's not all. Nowhere in Sarah's 2017 interview does she use the word bloody to describe the clothing that the man was wearing. The so-called muddy bloody lady is actually just the muddy lady. As Sarah only used the word muddy to describe the man she observed on 300 North in her 2017 interview. It certainly would help Judge Diener in making his decision if the man walking down the street was wearing a blue jacket and also wearing bloody clothing, as if he had just murdered somebody. However, Liggett just flat out lied. Sarah never mentioned a blue coat and never mentioned blood in her 2017 interview. So that that's all disturbing if it's true and if it's provable. Yeah. Um, there is a reason that his own sworn affidavit, uh, Liggett concealed key information from Judge Diener and lied about other key information. Had Diener known the hidden and falsified facts, then Diener would have never signed the search warrant and a search warrant that was already insufficient in linking Richard Allen to the murders even before Liggett's lies and deceptions. Liggett's concealed and falsified evidence would have told a completely different story had Liggett not concealed evidence and lied about evidence. Richard Allen told Liggett to his face that he had left the old CPS parking lot by 1.30 p.m., but Liggett opted to not let Judge Diener know about what Richard had actually said. When Richard Allen drove away from the old CPS parking lot at 1.30 p.m. to go home, at some point in time before 2.15 p.m., a person driving a car that resembled a 1965 Comet, angular in shape and not black, backed in their car into the old CPS parking lot and parked. Then at 2.15 p.m., Betsy Blair drove past the old CPS parking lot and observed the car and remembered what it looked like because it reminded her of her youth, a car that her dad drove in 1960. Because Richard Allen had left the CPS parking lot at or before 1.30 p.m., it certainly explains why the man that Betsy observed at the high bridge at 2 p.m. was a boyish and youthful-looking 20- to 30-year-old man with poofy brown hair that looked nothing like Richard Allen because it wasn't Richard Allen. There's a reason that the man Sarah observed on 300 North at 3.57 p.m. was not wearing a blue coat like the man Betsy had observed on the high bridge. It's because the man that Sarah observed on 300 North at 3.57 p.m. wasn't the same man that Betsy saw on the bridge at 2 p.m. It was a completely different man that had mud, not blood, on his clothing. Betsy Blair saw one man, perhaps the same man that the other three eyewitnesses saw on the trail. Sarah observed a completely different man, and while all of these witnesses were observing two different men, Richard Allen was at home where he had been since leaving the Monon Trail on or before 1.30 p.m. That is the difference the concealed and falsified evidence would have made for Judge Diener. Mic drop. So they've got examples of the patches that the guards actually yeah. wore. I saw some discussion last night about people who have served time at Westville Corrections and other 
jails or prisons in Indiana. And apparently guards are allowed to wear whatever the they want if they're part of a motorcycle club. Yeah, see, that's weird to me. It is very weird to me because in Canada that would be considered gang affiliation and you can't affiliation and Thank it, you. i mean they even have like according to this document they were po- these guards were posting stuff on their facebook um that wouldn't be that wouldn't fly in canada and no. if you're representing the state in any way shape or form or the province or law enforcement in any way shape or form you had better conduct yourself to the highest standard of society and unfortunately for alternative religion followers and motorcycle enthusiasts that is considered gang affiliation and it would not be allowed here apparently don't quote me on this this is just what i've heard it's not not allowed in the states and these patches apparently are velcro backed so that they can be put on and taken off Mm. yeah just crazy stuff crazy stuff so the one patch is black background with red writing in odin we trust they purchased they purchased them off of etsy (laughs) yeah they purchased them off of etsy um the second patch is the three triangles intertwined um and then kind of the half of the american flag it looks like there's another patch that one of the guard was wearing that says, I hate people. And How is that allowed? <laughs> Fix your fucking system. That's right. So the first time that Richard's defense team noticed uh, Sergeants Jones and Robinson wear those patches on their DOC uniforms was on April 3rd, 2023. This also coincides with the time frame that Rick Allen's mental health began a steep decline. From that point forward, these two guards seemed inseparable from Rick Allen. Odenite Correctional Officers Robinson and Jones would walk Rick Allen to and from his attorney's visits, as well as on one occasion when Richard visited with his wife, always wearing these embroidered patches. For a period, um, Robinson and Jones were also videotaping Richard Allen and his interactions with his attorneys. This ended only upon complaint by Richard's attorneys after several visits. Additionally, Robinson and Jones were always close enough to Richard to be assured that he did not feel comfortable talking with his attorneys or to his wife without knowing that these Odenite guards were there within earshot of anything he would tell his lawyers or wife. Max Baker and Max Hoffman have both been part of Rick Allen's defense team since December 2022 and have met with Rick on several occasions. In paragraph 10 of Max Baker's affidavit, which is Exhibit 115, provides insight into some of what was going on at Westville with the Odinist guards Jones and Robinson. During one memorable visit on May 4, 2023, myself, Attorney Baldwin, and Attorney Rossi met with Rick Allen to discuss matters involving the case. At this time, Rick Allen was in a mental and physical state of deterioration and was clearly non-communicative. During the visit, Rick Allen repeatedly asked whether his wife was okay and if his family was okay. He claimed on a couple of occasions that they were going to kill him when asked who he was referring to as they, 
Richard Allen responded by saying, the guys with the Odin patches. Up to this point in the legal process, Richard Allen's defense team had never mentioned Odinites or Odinism to Richard Allen, either directly or indirectly. The first time I am aware of any mention of Odinite involvement to Richard Allen was during a visit on August 25, 2023, when Kathy Allen attended and a discussion occurred between the attorney and client regarding ties to the crime scene. The only thing is that, like, like there's no evidence of ties between Richard Allen and Odinism, but if the prosecution is able to find ties, then I would possibly believe that maybe he and his family were being threatened, but also that he was involved. Yeah. But they're saying, like, you don't you don't tell on anybody else kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You take the fall for all of us because you dropped a bullet or whatever that was in your fucking pocket, whatever it might be. Yeah. So I could I could see that as well. Maybe he's not scot free. But and maybe what he's if- I mean, if he's the guy on the bridge, if he is bridge guy, then he is guilty of felony murder because he is the one that kidnapped those girls and forced them down the hill. Meaning. Yeah. And but like, obviously, this Odinism is likely a part of it. And he kind of fits the the bill of yeah. wanting to be part of that brotherhood. He does. He does. So maybe, you know, maybe this is more of a story of. He is guilty, but so is everybody else. Yeah. Ooh. The the part where Liggett um, was the only person to refuse to support the transport of Richard Allen out of Westville when yeah. other options were available. Liggett cited as his sole reason for rejecting Richard Allen being moved from Westville to Cass County Logansport is that he would have difficulty transporting Richard Allen to Delphi from Logansport for hearings and the, trial. Yeah, they don't have the manpower. That's true. That's 100% true. He got up on the stand and that was his reason for not um, agreeing with the transfer. A distance of less than 20 miles. Yep. Boy. So another piece in here, and like I said, a lot of this is repeating what we've already kind of heard. Um, but we, we had talked about in the update episode about Rick Allen's appearance. It was kind of shocking. He had lost a ton of weight and he was looking quite disheveled, right? So we talked about that. Um, in this document, the defense says that they have obtained video from the prison One of the videos that they obtained shown the aftermath of something that happened to Rick Allen. Um, Find attached a still shot of Richard Allen taken from the video that Westville produced. The defense does not have the exact date, but the video indicates that the video was taken between May 26th and May 30th. The still shot is attached to this memorandum and filed as Exhibit 121. The defense is not sure exactly what happened to Richard Allen that caused him to to look the way depicted in the still shot, whether it was self-harm or something else. The fact that Richard is being watched by Odinites and the evidence strongly supports Odinite involvement in the murders causes great concern for the defense team in 
in terms of Rick's safety. Additionally, in Matt Hoffman's affidavit, you will find that at the last hearing on June 15th, 2023, Rick was constantly pleading with the guards not to shock him. Please don't shock me. Please don't shock me. Please don't shock me. Matt Hoffman indicated that Rick made that comment in front of multiple guards and in front of multiple members of Rick's defense team. And these lawyers aren't going to ruin their entire careers over somebody who might be guilty. So, like, I do believe these lawyers, when they're saying, like, these guys were wearing the patches and they weren't wearing the patches Mm -hmm. and this and that. There's a level of integrity and ethics that doesn't matter what profession you're in, you should follow it. But when it comes to lawyers making court filings and I don't think anybody will dispute this that they can't say that they saw or heard something and then put it swear under oath basically in a document that's going to a judge for consideration all of this stuff has to be true to the person that's giving the evidence right So if it's not backed up by a documentation for whatever reason, then that person has to truly believe, especially if it's coming from a lawyer or a legal assistant and all of these people that are giving their depositions and stuff, they, there would be serious consequences if they lied in an official court filing for a motion um, for Frank's hearing, basically, is what I'm trying to say. There would be serious serious they'd be in serious trouble just put it that way i will go through the conclusion here but just before i do that i just read something on page 125 which is kind of interesting which is just that the warden claimed that westville was doing richard a favor by allowing him privacy with his wife Um, But the defense views it differently. With no other inmates in the room, the room was completely quiet. So it's just yet another way they controlled what he was saying. Yeah. Which is interesting. They cleared the room to ensure they could hear that conversation Mm -hmm. is what the defense is saying, which is pretty, pretty extreme. Conclusion of part four. They don't teach you in law school what to do when your client, who is accused of murder, is being guarded. Damn, this is already powerful. They don't teach you in law school what to do when your client, who is accused of murder, is being guarded by members of a religious cult whose members' evidence strongly supports were the actual murderers. Yet, that is where we are. At some point in time, coincidences cease to be coincidences. The fact that Liggett did not want Richard Allen to be removed from Westville purportedly over transportation issues is curious. The fact that Odinites were the fact that Odinites are guarding Richard is very concerning, or at the very least curious considering the evidence discussed in this memorandum. 
The fact that Sergeant Robinson stopped wearing his In Odin We Trust patches within days of Jerry Holman and the Unified Command learning that the defense was fully aware of the evidence linking Odinists to the crime scene and that the Unified Command had avoided investigating Odinists is curious. I'll say. (laughs) Again, the court must determine whether Liggett acted intentionally or recklessly when he admitted or lied about information when he drafted the affidavit for search warrant, the defense would ask the court to consider that Liggett objecting to Richard Allen's transfer to Cass County over transportation issues is evidence of intentionality in that Liggett wanted Allen to remain in Westville, guarded by Sergeant Robinson and Sergeant Jones and any other Odinite that the defense of whom the defense has not learned works at Westville. Part 5. Richard Allen has no ties to Odinism or any religious cult and has no ties to the crime scene. Okay, so there is that final part 5. That's where I was getting confused. And obviously they're just going through that there's no fingerprint evidence, there's no DNA evidence. and Literally. And there's no, you know, so you've at got- least from what the defense can find, there's no proof of Richard Allen being interested in Odinism. Now, it's not really the defense's job to look into it, or at least, like, you know, put it in a document that is protecting their client, Mm -hmm. but say prosecution comes out and they have proof that Richard Allen was into Odinism, now that will be interesting. Yeah, but... In reality, we know that there's no DNA on site that links Richard Allen to the crimes. Or anybody. Or, as far as we know, anybody. Otherwise, it would have been tested. Like, if there was DNA, we would think that it would be the spit if Elvis is telling the truth. And Mm -hmm. if that was the case, they must have taken a sample from him if he said, yeah, I spit on that dead body. Like they can't unless be that he was dumb. that stupid and he missed and you know what I mean like maybe he yeah. spit in that direction but at the end of the day hmm. that bullet we haven't heard any of the professional analysis of that bullet mm-hmm. that supposedly matches perfectly to Richard Allen's Sig Sauer whatever 226 um, but that's it and the eyewitnesses and two of the Three sets of eyewitnesses, according to this, gave different testimony than what Liggett reported in the affidavit. So, to me, it can't really be relied upon. Who is Doolin? Doolin is the conservation officer that Rick Allen originally gave his statement to outside of the grocery store. Ooh, they digging into him. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. They're they're saying, like, that he made mistakes as well, um, starting with uh, screwing up Richard Allen's name. Right. So, I heard about this in Rick Allen Whiteman. Um, Richard Allen lived on Whiteman Drive. So, it's probably just bad punctuation or just a scribbled note. Uh, yeah. That was... But... Yeah. Um, words matter when talking to someone. For example, if the exchange between Dan Doolin 
Yep. And Richard Allen was this. Richard, we think the girls were abducted between 1.30 and 3.30. Were you on the trail at any point in time between 1.30 and 3.30 p.m. on February 17th? And Richard answered, yes. That does not mean that Richard Allen was actually on the trail the entire time between 1.30 p.m. and 17th. February 17th? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't get what they're saying there because that's not the right date. Um... <clears throat> They're, they're saying that there's other issues in accuracy mm-hmm. in his reports that need to be maybe reconsidered and scrutinized. And the same can be said for them in this motion. Thing. That's so, what I'm saying. So, I mean, it happens. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not even going to be all the evidence of, like, like maybe this will get Liggett to fucking look into some more details. Maybe this will make him see that oh fuck maybe I don't have as strong of a case as I thought I did because mm-hmm. this these people's case is pretty good imagine him sitting at home and being like shit this is good <laughs> I should have thought of this yeah. honestly I think it's a lot of like repeating the same stuff but then adding in their supporting mm-hmm. maybe not even evidence but speculations into errors made that they can somewhat prove yeah. <laughs> someone did say, well, before you throw rocks, make sure you don't live in a glass house. Uh, because because of all the mistakes in this filing. But this just proves that everybody makes mistakes. As soon as there's a human hand in something, mistakes are going to be made. And that doesn't, that doesn't take away from the information that's inside the document. You know, I think that the defense has more, like their, what's it called? Their strategy mm-hmm. here is to also combat the negative press against Richard Allen mm-hmm. because they end this with like saying, number one, Richard Allen was on the trails between one thirty and 3.30. Goes through a huge thing, almost as if they're in court trial like yeah they at the end of this this is trial number two richard allen owns a blue coat as do millions of other men three richard owns guns as do millions of other men four richard owns knives as do millions of other men five his black ford fork his black ford focus was parked at the cps building between 1 30 p.m and 4 p.m and then they're giving the reason right under it as the court knows by now at 2 15 p.m betsy observed a vehicle parked at the old cps lot that resembled a 1965 non-black comet with an angular design this was not richard allen's vehicle more importantly tony liggett concealed this fact from judge diener Six, Betsy Blair observed a man on a bridge that Liggett claimed was Richard Allen. And then again, again, like, like recaps their backing for that. Mm-hmm. It's literally, it sounds like the end of trial, their closing statement. Their it's closing crazy. Arguments. Seven, Sarah observed a man walking down the road that Liggett claims one was Richard Allen and also two, the same man that Betsy viewed on the high bridge. So their conclusion is saying that Richard Allen is not connected to these horrific 
murders in any way. Liggett attempted to convince Judge Diener that evidence of the murders would be found in Rick's home over five years after the girls were slain based upon the seven enumerated reasons identified above. If Liggett had been honest, then Judge Diener would not have signed the warrant. Liggett wasn't honest, though. Richard's lack of any connection whatsoever to the crime scene, combined with Liggett's lies and concealments, merit a Frank's hearing. And sorry, what's a Frank's hearing again? Frank's hearing is basically a hearing to determine whether or not law law enforcement lied or um, acted inappropriately um, or gave bad evidence or didn't And what can be the result of a Frank's hearing? A search warrant could be thrown out. Anything that's collected. Could Richard Allen be released? No. I don't think so. The charges aren't going to be dropped as a result of a Frank's hearing. Unless Liggett stood up and said, yeah, guilty. Guilty as charged. <laughs> I, I, I cannot see that happening. You know what, though? The but defense... they would probably move the trial up. Or mm-hmm. the second that, that Frank's hearing is granted. Or sorry, the... If the judge rules in favor at the Franks hearing that Liggett did lie or whatever, then the defense would immediately file a motion to dismiss. Okay, and and I don't, I don't think that anybody is ever going to dismiss the charges until it goes to trial. I think that that's why the defense is opening the door throughout this file by saying, like. The court must determine whether evidence exists that Liggett acted intentionally That's right. or, or recklessly or reckless disregard. Yeah. And that might open the door for Liggett to come through and say, you know what? I didn't sleep that day and I did have some reckless disregard. Mm-hmm. Like maybe like a way out. Yeah. So the whole thing ends off with saying, wherefore Richard Allen by and through his attorneys, Andrew J. Baldwin and Bradley A. Rossi, request that this court set the case for a Frank's hearing, at which time the defense will be asking for the search warrant to be deemed illegal and the fruits of the illegal warrant to be suppressed. Respectfully submitted, signed by both Lawyers. Those badass bitches. I would just like to say that um, if if all they have is the bullet and the supposed eyewitnesses, then who cares about the search warrant? Is there something else that we don't know about that they found that the defense is scared to be admitted into court? I would say, if anything, they're just perhaps in a rush to get Richard Allen out of that prison. Fair. Due to the threat. Fair. Because they have other cases they're working on. They wouldn't be in such a rush to get this one going if it weren't for their concern of the safety of what they believe to be an innocent man. Fuck if we know, though. <laughs> no shit. Like, I don't even... through this part, I came up with the idea that perhaps, although the defense isn't 
coming out with supporting evidence of this, perhaps Richard Allen was a prospect for yeah. that Odinism bullshit. It's true. And then and he would be the fall guy. And that would also fit in with the defense and a possible prosecution in which they'd be saying, if you turn in anybody else, we're going to kill your wife. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the meanings of some of those ruins, the ones that look like F's are very suspicious to me because the one um, actually means initiation. So... Yep. Maybe part of his initiation was to kidnap the girls and force them down the hill and across the creek. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think we're ever going to find out because people won't own up to what they do. Pussy ass bitches. Right. But let's let's prove it in a court of law. January is Rick's. Oh, um, it's on. We're going to have to have watch parties if no, they sure. if they allow cameras. Which I'm sure they will because Richard Allen has been... Like, you're going to have to take off work. We're going (laughs) to sit here with popcorn and we're just going to watch this shit go down. Because the defense has a battle and you don't see that very often. You don't see a good-ass defense. Mm -hmm. Like, pretty much ever. Yeah. They usually have one argument and they argue that point. mm -hmm. Saying, you know, this point is true then that means he can't have a guilty ruling due to whatever rule. Mm-hmm. This is a whole other universe, a whole other story, and yeah. a whole lot of mischief. That's never been given any thought or critique or anything because this is the kind of the first that we're hearing anything official about it. Mm-hmm. It's crazy sauce. So if I was the defense, I probably would have went a different route because honestly, there is reasonable doubt everywhere um, mm-hmm. in the form of a Ron Logan, Kagan Klein, Tony Klein, all of it that's been going on all over the years. That is reasonable doubt for a reasonable jury. I mean, if it they is. worked those angles, but this is the way they decided to go, which makes me kind of lean towards that the information provided in here for the most part is accurate and true. I agree. I think maybe some information might be missing, Mm -hmm. but I do believe what they have reported is accurate and true. And Mm -hmm. I think the reason why they're bringing it the way that they are is that, okay, well, if you guys aren't going to do this, then at least do this. Yes. And it's kind of a Richard out of that facility. I was just going to say it kind of screams like there's a sense of urgency here to get this man to where he can be safe, where he can participate in his own defense yeah if you decide to be ignorant and like dismiss this entire document at least recognize that like some of these coincidences should at least support richard not being watched by those two fucking but awfully bold to assume that there's no other odinites in any other prison in indiana true especially fucking jesus this is some crazy shit if he's going to cast county i'm pretty sure the odinites are like, like the hell's angels of fucking america but right. the hell's angels are in america too yeah i'm just confused yeah this is like an underground fucking viking watch game of thrones one too many time ass motherfuckers or something i don't know i'm not gonna continue to make fun of people's uh, choices and religions because not all of them are murderers. Absolutely not. No, this is a, a sect of the Odinist religion. I've um, had my pagan days. Maybe that, you know, maybe they're too into 
white supremacists. And we all know that a lot of white supremacy groups can be violent. I'd like I don't... to know what they think cut the girls' necks. Well, because of my one theory that I'm not going to discuss on this podcast, but at least now when I re-listen to this after the trial, say I was right. Yeah. I'm going to come back to this and I'm going to be like, oh my fucking God. Well, didn't this document call it a ceremonial blade or something? Or something. Yeah. They they were assuming that it would be a ceremonial blade because it's obviously ritualistic mm-hmm. and they, that's their argument. Mm-hmm. But really, they don't know what caused it. Yeah. So if it's say, I don't know, like, let's just like, it could be a knife, it could be lightning, it's not going to be scissors because it was, it was a sharp object. What's really sharp? You know what? My brain kind of goes to those like shaving (laughs) knives things. Uh, Who knows? Who knows? knows? Yeah. Who knows? Those are sharp though. Those are really fucking sharp. Terribly sharp. Really sharp. Sweet, Sweeney Todd. Anyway. Yeah. I feel like I feel like we did a bang up job going through this absolutely massive document and like I keep saying on Patreon I uploaded this document all of the other things that were filed which were just like supporting documentation with articles about Odinism in Indiana and corrections officers who are Odinists and just articles like that there's a list of um, exhibits that I uploaded that tells you exactly what each exhibit is in the filing most of them are confidential it still tells you what it is but it does tell you that it's confidential Mm -hmm. nobody has access to it Um, and then I just I decided to throw up all of the other filings that were unsealed remember the murder sheet applied to have a bunch of Applied basically for public access to all the court filings and it was granted. I think there was something like 30 documents that were kept under seal, probably autopsy reports and stuff like that. But the main bulk of documentation in the Delphi case was unsealed a few weeks ago and I went ahead and uploaded all that to Patreon as well. So So enjoy. Mm-hmm. So this is the final parter of this mm-hmm. until trial, which is part five. Unless, and I mean, if the... If there's more, if there's rebuttal, we'll be back. And, uh, that's the one thing that I wanted to say and I haven't said yet. The only thing at this point that can happen is the prosecution, Nick McClelland, has got to respond to this in some public way. I think they all do. Like you, Through the prosecutor's office, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, he has got to do something about this because I this totally is, agree. this is earth shaking news. It is, and there's you know there's a lot of people that are dismissing it as hogwash, but I I mean I know that it's to fantastical. This, I but I think it's very dangerous to just dismiss all of this compared to other speculation that people just come up with on the internet mm-hmm. that don't even have any information to back it and people are like oh yeah that's a good one yeah this to, has got stuff this has got meat take this meat as what it is is mm-hmm. absolutely bizarre yeah what I was going to talk about is just that this is a five parter that we are like like we put a lot of time into recording and we're I'm 
going to be putting a lot of time into editing this just to get it out as fast as possible so that you guys don't have to wait and wait and wait. But that will mean that you guys are getting five meaty parts this week, which will mean that we will be taking a break next week. So, yeah, this is it for a whole week. We won't see you guys till the first week of October. It's crazy. It's crazy, but, you know, take your time and listen to these five parts and really let these words soak in. And go back and listen to the Delphi episode and then the mm-hmm. um, the update episode. Listen to it all. It's it's important, honestly. It is. Especially and if this kind of shit is actually going on in our, not our, but the American justice, justice system. Through... All of the noises in the backtrack. It's been my Pomeranians. So I think to say goodbye, we should hear from one of them. Speak. Speak. We don't want that on there. Why not? It was ASMR of my dog eating a treat. That's so cute. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share it with your friends. If you don't mind giving us a five-star rating, it will help our show grow. Check out our Facebook and our Patreon in the show notes below. If you wish to contact us, you may do so at truecrimestorypod at gmail.com. I'm Bree. And I'm Char. And we'll see you on the next chapter. Bye! Bye!